You're listening to a live recorded teaching of the Sunday Gathering at Proclamation Church in Nashville, Tennessee. We hope that this teaching reminds you of the love that Jesus has for you. To find out more about Proclamation Church or to support the mission and vision of our ministry, visit us at proclamationtn.com. We're in Genesis chapter 6 today. Uh, verses 5 through 8, and it reads like this. When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth, together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, in a day like this, a moment like this, we can pause and just say thank you. We can say thank you that we have an opportunity to open your word. We can say thank you that we have an opportunity to be edified by it, sharpened by it in such a way where we can bring glory and honor to your name. I pray, Father, here in this moment uh, that you would speak in and through me, um, that you would uh, allow your words to penetrate the hearts of your people the minds of your people, so that as we leave out of here, that we would see the urgency of what it means to be on mission in such a way that we would be faithful to the work that you've called us to do. God, I pray that uh, I would decrease, and Father, you would increase. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated. So many of you guys know uh, I played uh, basketball, and I played, uh, started when I was around fifth grade, and I remember being in eighth grade on the JV team, and we had this guy named Chris on our team. Uh, as an eighth grader, Chris was about six foot four, uh, pushing about 200 pounds. He was tall and, and strong, right? The thing about Chris, though, is even though Chris go, huh? That's not what it's supposed to be. The thing about Chris, though, there it is, uh, is even as big as he was, uh, man, he got bullied in the paint. Uh, if you're not familiar with, with basketball terminology, that means that he was soft. Like, like everyone just took advantage of him, even as big as he was. And I remember we had one game, and there was this kid who was maybe six foot, uh, dropped like 20 points on Chris. It was, I felt bad for Chris. We all felt bad for Chris. Uh, coach felt really bad for Chris, and when we had practice the next day, uh, he was like, Chris, you, you can't be passive, man. Like, you, you have to be aggressive down here. Like, this, this is your house down here. You own all of this, right? And Chris is like, yeah, I think so. He's like, no, no, no. You own this. Do you, do you hear me? And he goes like, he says, yeah, I, I think so. And so for the next 15 minutes, Coach Bradley was yelling at Chris to try to get him to this understanding that, like, yo, you own this. Stop being passive, right? And he's like, he said, Chris, repeat after me. Stop being passive. And he said, stop being passive. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, I need you to believe it. Stop being passive. Stop being passive. He's like, Chris, yell it. And Coach was yelling at the top of his lungs. Stop being passive. Yell it with me. And Chris, I kid you not, said, stop being passive. Just like that, <laughs> right? Mr. Bradley was like, yo, we, are we going to have to run suicides or something? What, what's going on here? Like, if you truly saw what I saw, Chris, you would be a monster. You'd be a beast. 
And Chris said to him, no, I see what you see. I just don't care. We all ran suicides. <laughs> Chris, right? Guys, I wonder if maybe many of us are like Chris in here when it comes to the mission of God. We see it. We see the urgency of it. We know what can be done, but we just don't care. That we're at a spot where we're like, man, we've got other priorities. We're, we're busy. We're focused on everything else. Like, I, I, I like this stuff. This is, you know, I'm, I'm here. I'm on the team. But it's not really a passion of mine. It's not something that I necessarily want to do. You may not say that, but oftentimes how we operate and how we live communicates that family. We need to understand the urgency of the mission that God has called us to be on. And I think what we see here in the book of Noah, or book of Noah, book of Genesis with the story of Noah, communicates that. Now, in the same way, if you were here with us last week, we spent some time talking about the mission of God, and we looked at Esther. And oftentimes, when you look at stories like that, you look at something like this, it's like, man, what does this necessarily have to do with mission? I promise you, it has a lot to do with mission. A lot. There's a level of urgency here that we have to take serious. So my hope for us today is that we not only see the need for mission, but we also recognize that God has us to be used strategically for that mission. And so we're looking at this introduction of Noah in Genesis 6. Now, let's be honest. Oftentimes when we hear the story of Noah, right, it's a cute little bedtime story, right? All the animals two by two come shuffling up on the ark, right? It's really pretty. It's really nice. But guys, can we be, can we be real? Can we be transparent? This is a story of judgment. This is a story of wickedness being wiped out. And to add to that, Noah and his family were on this ark for months on end, right? Nothing about that sounds like fun. <laughs> With stinky animals, let's just talk about that, right? There's nothing about this that screams joy. But however, in the midst of this, in verse 8, what do we see? Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, real quick, people encounter stories of judgment in the Bible like this, and they say, was this really necessary? Did God really have to do this? In fact, verse 5 says that God had, that every intention of the human heart was evil continually, it says, that we read, right? We see that he says this again in uh, 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 chapter 8, verse 21. I don't, I don't think I put it on the screen, but I'll read it here. It says, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I'll never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. I'll never strike down every living thing as I've done here, talking about the flood. There's this interesting wordplay in Hebrew. The word used to describe human wickedness in verses 12 through 13 is the same word used to describe what God does to the wicked. The Hebrew here is mashit. It means destruction. Sinful humans are destroying God's good creation, so God is going to mashit the mashiters, if you will. Destruction because of their wickedness, because of their sin, because of what they've done. 
And we need to understand that God does this, listen to me, family, because he's a holy God. He's a righteous God. And God can't be in the presence of this. And he does this, though, because he is demonstrating, listen to me, still his love. It's like this. Many of you guys have been around people sick who have had some type of disease destroying that person's body. Let's use cancer, for example. You ever been around someone who's, whose body is being riddled with cancer and just they're sick? You hate that sickness, don't you? You hate what it's doing to that loved one, don't you? This is how God feels about sin and his creation. He needs to destroy it. He wants to destroy it. He has hate for it to eradicate the cancer. God destroys the destroyers. Verse 6 says that, God, that the human wickedness grieved God to his heart. That word for, for grieve there is the same word used in Isaiah 54, 6 to describe what an, what an abandoned wife feels like, this despairing grief. So a holy God of perfect love cleansed the earth of sin. But somehow Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, undeserved kindness. And he preserved Noah and his family as a representative of the human race. Through him, he would go on to repopulate the earth. Now you say, well, was that solution very effective? <laughs> Not really. Because if you look at, again, 821, after Noah steps off the ark and he makes this covenant with God, this, he, he worships God, he makes this uh, uh the altar before God, and God makes that statement, I'm not going to wipe them out like that again, even though their heart's still going to be wicked. It's clear as day that we know, we look at the news, we see what's going on. The short answer is no. After the story comes to an end, we find out that Noah, the one who found grace in the eyes of the Lord, goes up to screw up his own family. <laughs> Literally, like just a couple verses later, a couple chapters later. And by the end of chapter 9, his family is super messy. The same righteous guy. The core of the human heart is broken family. Which is the real meaning of the story that we're going to get to in just a second. But there's four things that I want us to understand about Noah that I think is going to set up the rest of our time this morning, okay? The very first thing was this. Number one, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We need to remember that. Okay, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What do I mean by that? We need to ask ourselves this question. What was so special about Noah? You already know the answer. Nothing. There was nothing special about Noah. But, but here's the thing that we need to understand here, okay? He heard the voice of the Lord. Okay? Let's, let's put a marker on that. He heard the voice of the Lord, and when he heard the voice of the Lord, what did he do? He responded. He didn't ignore it. He responded. Now you hear that and you read verse 9 that tells us that he was a righteous man. But why was he righteous? He was righteous because he responded to God's offer of salvation. It's the only reason why. Okay? Period. That was it. So first thing, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But the second thing, listen, Noah was chosen to be a channel of salvation to others. If, if you're not familiar with, with Scripture, right, and 
I didn't go into the whole detail of, of Noah's story here, but, but God chose Noah to build this big old ark, this, this big ship, this big boat. And as he was building it, people were looking at him and ridiculing him and laughing at him and mocking him and all these different things. And he's like, yo, this space on here, come through. We, I can make another cot. I got you. But they weren't hearing that, were they? No. Listen, Noah was chosen for this, and that would be the thing that would save not just him, but his family as well. But the point is this, is that God's grace was towards him. And the, beauty, the beautiful thing about that is that grace that God was extending towards Noah was not just for Noah. It was for anyone who would listen. It was for anyone who would respond rightly to it. He was to be a channel of grace towards others, okay? Let's hold on to that idea as well. As we look at the third thing that we notice in this story. Number three, Noah had to dramatically rearrange his priorities in light of God's grace towards him. It gets better, Katie. Noah had to dramatically rearrange his priorities in light of God's grace towards him. What do I mean by that? After this whole announcement, after God reached out to him and, and told him all these things, right? He could not go on with his life as it normally was. He had to do something different. Imagine the difference from this point on and how Noah saw the world. The house he had built wasn't gonna be there for long. The things that he created were about to be wiped away. Everybody he knew, all his neighbors, all these different people, one of two things were going to happen. They were going to be saved or weren't. They were going to be destroyed in this coming flood. So, so we've got to put this perspective here now for Noah. It's like, okay, I've got, to, I've got to respond rightly here. Something has to give. Which then obviously we know that the flood came, wiped everything out. And then once the, Noah, the, the ark rested on the mountain and they were finally able to come off, what happened? The fourth thing. Noah was grateful. If you fast forward the story to the end, after God sent the flood, saved Noah and his family, Noah exits the ark, and when he does, the first, the first thing that he does is offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. Now, now here's what's so interesting about that little piece that's different than everything else in the story, okay? This was the first thing that we see Noah did that he wasn't told to do. Everything up to this point, he was being obedient to God, doing everything that God said. But then when he steps off the ark and he builds this, does this, this uh, altar and the sacrifice, this was the first thing that God didn't tell him to do. It was a response to what he saw God do for him. And so he says, yo, <laughs> I'm thankful. I'm looking around. I've been on this boat for months. It's been stinky. But you sustained me. The sacrifice was Noah's idea, it was his initiative, but it was an overflow of gratefulness for everything that God had done. Why? God, why would you choose me to show grace to? Why not my neighbor? Why did you save my family? Why, why not everybody else? I don't know the answer to that. But either way, I'm thankful. I'm gonna worship you. It's a beautiful story, right? What does all of that have to do with the urgency of mission? I'm glad you asked. I, I want us to put ourselves 
in the position of Noah, if you will, as a family of God. Can, can we do this little excursion real quick? This is about to be one of the shortest sermons you've ever heard me preach, and you're welcome, okay? This is pre pretty direct here, okay? Listen, this is what I want us to see as, a, as the family of God. Listen, we as a church have been selected for grace just like Noah was. How can I say that? Listen, I don't know why God has been so gracious to us, but the evidence of that grace is everywhere, everywhere. Family, over the last three years, we have seen God do so much for this young church, so much. The fact that we are in this building worshiping on, the, on a weekend, that's a grace in and of itself. Listen, other churches don't just randomly give buildings to other churches. And you guys laugh, but it's, it's so frustrating how often I'm having conversations with, with dying churches in the area. And when I kind of give them our story and say, hey, you've got to be open-handed for many of them to be like, get out my face. The things that the, the former people here at, at Glenwood Baptist Church had to do to be open-handed, their, their generosity, their hospitality, their willingness to say, yo, stand on our shoulders. That is God's grace to us. And we cannot forget that. That's God's kindness. But I'm not done. Last year alone, we saw 15 people get baptized said yes to obedience and baptisms. We've grown by almost 50 people a year, each year since we've been here. We have 70% of our average attendance involved in either a family group or a discipleship relationship in the church. We have been selected for grace. Listen, God doesn't grab a hold of people like that because of an entertaining speaker. God doesn't do this work simply because we dress nice. He does this because there is a purpose here at the corner of East Thompson and Murfreesboro that he wants to do a work and he has selected us for that. Family, I believe that he wants to turn strangers to sons. And he wants to use us to do it. And just like, no, we got to ask why. <laughs> I'm messy, Jesus. <laughs> Are you sure? That's why I told you Noah was messy too. And he still used him, didn't he? Guys, listen, our influence in the city, I truly believe, is going to begin to multiply. From the relationships that we've built with Glenview Elementary, listen, I haven't said this, and I hesitate to say it because I know many of you guys are going to ask, well, what are we doing? And I'm like, yo, give me time, right? But the stuff that we've been doing with Glenview Elementary, there are two other schools that have hit us up. It's like, yo, be, can y'all do that for us too? That's awesome. And I was like, wait, we're going to get to y'all. <laughs> we're a small church, but we're going we gonna to do something. This past summer, we saw almost 100 of you jump into serving through Serve 615 or Kids Week. We had over 100 of you serve during the fall festival, providing food, candy, and fun for almost 1,000 people in our community. 1,000 people. Listen to me. I want you to recognize these aren't just stats and numbers. These numbers represent people in need of the hope of the gospel. 
and we have been chosen for such a time as this. And you want to know what's so amazing about this? It's not just that God in his kindness sees what's happening here. Other churches in the neighborhood or in the city are seeing what's happening here too. You want to know what's really dope? Just this past week, I'll keep it together. You guys know Crosspoint, the big church here in the city? Love that church. Thankful for them. Thankful for their influence here. This past Tuesday, uh, they were here. They were shooting a video, kind of talking about what was going on here at the church. It was great to be able to put a spotlight on our church. Did you know the Sunday before that, they just decided to select us randomly to collect a special offering to, to give us to, to, to do work here at the church, whatever we needed for, $36,000. Are you ready for this? Remember I told you guys how we need a parking lot? You, you see it right now. If you're, if you're here at the 9 o'clock service, you're pulling in. Some of y'all was shorthanded this morning, right? <laughs> Number one, this is your sign to maybe you should move to 1045, right? A lot of space, 1045 service. <laughs> but you see that we don't have parking, right? And I shared with you guys that, yo, eventually we're going to, that whole grass lot, we're going to do the work. We're going to try to do this without taking out any loans. You guys remember, was, I guess it was around uh, October, September that we shared that with you guys? Listen, that check put us over where we were going to be able to do this parking lot without taking out any loans whatsoever. Whatsoever. You cannot tell me that we have not been selected by God for such a time as this. And I, and I sit back and I'm regularly wondering, why? <laughs> why? Guys, I love you. I love us. But can we be real? There's nothing special about us. And I mean that in the most loving way. <laughs> We're basic. <laughs> but God is gracious, is he not? God is kind, is he not? Guys, I believe that we have been selected Noah was selected for grace. There's nothing special about him. Family, he just listened to God. I pray we're at a spot where we're beginning to listen. When we begin to open up our eyes and see like, yo, you're doing something here. Let's be obedient. We believe that God has taken, uh, uh, we, we have to believe God and take him at his word. That Jesus really did come to seek and save the lost that he's not willing that anyone should perish, that he's gonna build his church. We have to believe those things to be true. We have to believe him. And I believe here at Proclamation Church, man, we're just scratching the surface on what God's gonna do here. Which leads me to number two here, like Noah, we've been given a very clear mission. We have been. Noah was told to build an ark, get people into it, right? Jesus told us to build the church and get people into it. He summarized our entire mission, Matthew 28, 18, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded to you. There are three primary areas that we are trying to focus on here as a church. Number one, our families. Why? We believe that families are the first mission field. We do. We are committed to discipling our little ones to grow up strong in God's kingdom. I need you to hear me say this, okay? What happens in Little Proclaimers 
every single week, listen, is not childcare. I will. I'll keep on going, Will. It's not childcare. I know oftentimes as parents, we, we take this as like a, a reprieve or a break. And it's like, oh, it's nice to just get away so I can sit and listen for, you know, 75 minutes or whatever, how long it is, right? But what's happening downstairs right now is discipleship of your little one. It is not childcare. They're good with kids. Some of them may come to your house and babysit if you need them to. But what happens here is discipleship. And I'm, I'm extremely passionate about what's happening in Little Proclaimers. Why? Because the amount of stories from parents who are having conversations with their children about what they're learning about Jesus. It's absolutely incredible. I love that Will is discipling my son. And I know that I'm not doing it by myself. Will is partnering with me. I love the fact that it didn't happen here, but at the church where we came from, where there were other leaders who were pouring into my daughter. That was because of their willingness that she trusted Jesus. They partnered with us in that. Guys, what happens with our family ministry is important. And let me just say to you who are here at the church that serve in Little Proclaimers or serve in any capacity, you're not just a volunteer. You've come to realize that your time, talent, and treasure is valuable for the kingdom of God. And you said, here I am, Lord, use me. Thank you for that. It's because of that that lives are forever being transformed. Discipleship. This is why Abby just spent three weeks talking about discipleship to parents here at the church, what it looks like homes. So yes, we want to focus on families, but we also want to focus on our neighbors. Our presence in the city is not incidental, guys. We should love our city. We should be committed to our city. We should seek the welfare of our city. There's a lot of college campuses here that we want to love and care for. We want to strategically think about how to be involved in college campuses. And by God's grace, we're beginning to see a lot of that take shape, but there's more to be done. It's going to take time to build, just like Noah. He didn't just dream this ark into existence. <laughs> There's a lot of wood he had to cut, but he was still obedient. Noah was told to build an ark, and when Jesus left, what did he tell his disciples? Build my church. And we have an opportunity to do that. Family, listen, whenever God wants to do something on earth, he gives people something very specific he wants them to build. He didn't say to Noah, okay, Noah, I'm going to send this flood. Now you're going to have to figure out a way to avoid it. <laughs> no, he said, hey, I'm going to send this flood, and here are all the measurements and cuts and everything else and the type of wood you got to use and all this stuff. He gave him instructions. The same for us. He gave us instructions on what to do. Now, here's the thing. The church is the New Testament equivalent of the ark. He says, yo, I'm going to use you to build my church. And I don't want to overstate this, okay? But God left one institution on here on earth. We see that in Acts chapter 1 and 2. You could summarize the apostles' approach in Acts as going to strategic cities and planting churches. We've talked about that when we walked through Acts. Listen, I want to be sensitive here, okay? They started churches. They didn't start soup kitchens. Planted churches. 
The local church, however, would do the evangelistic crusades that would lead to soup kitchens and things like that, which is what we want to be about in healthy, holistic ways. But he told us to focus on the church. And this is why church planting and revitalization and missions is so important and why we'll continue to get behind it, even as an early stage here in the church. Again, we're going to be about soup kitchens and evangelistic initiatives and things like that. You see that we do those things, but they're always a part or should always be a part of a local church. That's what our hope is here. Throughout the book of Acts, the local church was the center and focal point of ministry and giving. Look at Acts chapter 3, or excuse me, verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 34. It says this, For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Now, I want to make sure that we're clear about this, okay? There's nothing wrong with giving elsewhere to anybody else. You hear me? Can we all nod our heads there, Okay. But what we need to understand is that the focal point of your ministry and your giving should be at least somewhat involved in the local church. I've heard one pastor say it this way. In the New Testament, the local church is like an aircraft carrier. The battles an aircraft carrier wages are not supposed to happen on the aircraft carrier. If it does, that's a problem, right? The battles happen away from it. Planes are equipped and sent out. So how do we see our church? Are we a cruise ship? Are we a battleship? Or are we an aircraft carrier? What are we? What are we trying to be? I don't want to be a cruise ship. Those are nice. I like a nice tan. But I don't believe that's where God is calling us to be. We are a mobilized army family. And like Noah, we know that God's selection of us was not simply to save us, but to make us a channel of salvation to our community, which leads us to the next thing here. This mission requires a radical reorientation of our priorities. If I haven't stepped on any toes yet, here they come. Noah's adjustment to the mission of God was not a slight adjustment. It was a whole new way of looking at the world around him. And if that's the case, the mission that Jesus called us to is not a slight adjustment in our lifestyle. It's not. It's a whole new way of looking at our world, and why should it be? Because the mission is urgent. If you look at verses 5 through, through 7 that we just read in Genesis chapter 6, and if we know that if they were then, there's still a lot of wickedness now, we look out at that, and that should grieve us, family. We are not this huddle hallelujah group that just sings God songs and just watch the world go to hell around us. And if that's what we think that this is, we're, we're mistaken. And I mean that in the most loving way possible, but I already told you I was going to step on some toes. Jesus shed his blood and offered us the power of his spirit so that we could make a difference wherever we go. Period. Why? So that we would be able to be a part of reversing the tide so that we could see salvation of Jesus extended wherever we go. 
and our places of businesses and our schools and our neighborhoods and our college campuses, our homes, so that there is not a corner of this great city in which the light of Jesus is not brilliantly shining. But it takes us to see this as a priority. It takes us being willing to say no to different things on our calendars for the sake to say yes to Jesus. Something I say quite often, what does it look like to intersect the things of God and not see it as an addition? Intersection, not addition. I'm already going through the regular rhythms of life, yeah? I've got to eat dinner. What is it like to invite someone in on that? I got to go to practices and stuff like that with my son and my daughter. What does it look like to have intentional conversations with moms and dads that are around me and not just sit on my car and my phone, which I want to do? Because as extroverted as I am, I've learned to believe in some introverted time. Amen? (laughs) But what is it like for me to get comfortable with being uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel? to see people come to an understanding of Jesus for themselves. And I remember saying this last week, and I'll, and I'll say it again. I understand. Those conversations can be really awkward. I, I in, because I'm a pastor, right? When I say, oh, I'm a pastor, well, what does that mean? It means I get to tell you about Jesus. Let me, right? <laughs> Easy transition for your boy. <laughs> For you, not so much. I get that. But what has God given you? Gifting has he given you? What relationships has he given you that you can uniquely use for the sake of the gospel? It takes us having to reorganize some things. Reorienting some things. Why we do all of that? Last thing. We do it because we have a great part. (laughs) We understand what we've been saved from. We understand what's been given to us. We understand that we've been selected. We understand that we've been shown mercy. We understand that we've been shown forgiveness. We understand that he's shown us love and kindness and generosity all the things that, if we're honest, we realize we don't deserve. Just like Noah, we get off the ark and we're like, I'm looking around. I see all this grace that just came my way. Thank you, Jesus. Whatever I have is yours to begin with. This breath that I'm able to breathe here is because you spared me. This realization that I have of your mercy, it's only because you've extended it to me. Let me be grateful here. He offered a sacrifice to God. Noah did. He didn't do it out of compulsion. He did it out of his own volition. Can can I let you in on something? In hindsight, when you look at the whole story of, of Noah, The ark, even though it saved his family, in in reality, the ark was somewhat of a failure. What do I mean by that? 
just like Esther was something that was pointing to something else, so was the ark. The ark could only save but a few. Jesus can save us all. Family, we need to understand from the story that Jesus is the ark that we were pulled into that keeps us safe from the destroying reign of God's wrath. Jesus would drown in the sea of God's wrath so that we could be lifted safely above it. He shields us. God commanded Noah when he got the boat to commence a new creation, to be fruitful and multiply. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, he began a new creation. But I need you to hear me say this. His new creation was total. Not just families of people, but new kinds of people. That's us. If, if you know Jesus, remember that terminology in Ephesians, you are this kainos, this completely new thing. And he has done that for you. Why? Because you have been transformed by Jesus' resurrection spirit family. That's who you are. Listen, if Noah's salvation provided by his ark, how much more should we be who understand that we've been saved from God's wrath by Jesus, our ark? We should always spontaneously erupt in gratitude and sacrifices of thankfulness for what God has done for us. Always. We should wake up every, every time we open up our eyes. Thank you, Jesus. In light of all these things, you have to ask yourself, am I willing to do what it takes to see the gospel go forth? Do I see this as an urgent mission? Am I willing to do what it takes to see the flourishing of the church, the city, and the world? In light of the fact that our mission is urgent, that our local church, the place that God has placed us here at Proclamation is the primary vehicle for that mission, family, I want to call you to commit to doing what it takes to grow in your understanding of the gospel. Because it's because when we understand the gospel for, our, for ourselves and really grasp and hold on to it is when it truly propels us to do what we're called to do. It drives us forward. Will you do what it takes to be comfortable with being uncomfortable? Will you do what it takes to sacrifice with your time, your talent, and treasure? I, I, I want you to put yourselves in the shoes of Noah, if you will. You, you've just been given this mission, and you step out in your doorway, and you look out and you see your neighbors. You go to your job and you see your coworkers. What does Noah see? He sees a city he loves, neighbors he loves, playing with their kids, going to work, going with their everyday lives they don't know judgment's coming. How could he not do anything? I don't mean to be as horrendous as this is gonna be, but I, I'm, I'm, I need to shape and paint this picture for you. The elderly and sick would have died first as the flood was coming. Babies next. Strong young men would have climbed high up in the trees. The only thing that would have been 
worse after all the screams is the silence. When it was all said and done. I know that that's not pleasant to think about. You want to know what's not, why it's not pleasant to think about? Because we as Americans, we love comfort. I'm sorry if you wanted to come today and you wanted to hear a sermon where you are going to hear, you're okay, we're all okay. Powerful and positive thinking. That doesn't communicate the urgency of what's happening. That doesn't communicate the seriousness here. You want me to tell you that with a little more time, with the right politics, that everything's going to be all right? That's not true. So if those things aren't true, what do we do? For starters, we grab hold of the hope that we have in Jesus. And for seconds, we do what we need to do to make sure that other people can hold on to that hope as well. This isn't an easy subject to talk about, but I need you to hear me say this as clearly as possible. People's lives depend on it. When we say that we want to see the flourishing of the church, the city, and the world, we're trying to see people come to life. Dead things be born. Why? Because their eternity depends on it. So here's my question again. I know most of you say you believe the gospel, that Jesus is the Savior and the only hope for people all around the world. But what you're doing with your life and your time, your talent, and your treasure, does it show that you should believe that? What would, if, what would you have said to Noah if he claimed to believe what God said about the flood but made no effort to build the ark or to warn people? Does the urgency you talk with your kids about these things show you the gospel? Does how you spend your money show that you believe the gospel? Your mouth says that you believe the gospel. What do you say? If we believe the gospel should lead to radical reorientation of our lives towards the mission. So how's that going for you today? Where are you in that? Where is God calling you? you? You know that there's something specific that he's calling you towards. What is that thing? Where are you not seeing the urgency? As we end our time, I want you to spend some time praying that the Lord would bring that to you. But here's where, here's where I don't want to leave you, okay? I don't want you to leave out of here believing that all of this relies and depends on you. Because I think we can hear something like this, and we're like, I got to get to work. I got to do something here. There's truth in that. You do. But you do this work not in your own strength, but in the strength of the power of the Holy Spirit. And the very first thing that you should be doing is praying and fasting because we are in this season. How's that going for everybody? I'm hungry, amen? <laughs> As a matter of fact, this is a great segue. Brooke, I appreciate you saying that. So we're actually going to take a quick 
we're going to take a break from this sermon series, and we're going to take the next five weeks, all the way up to Easter, right? I think that's five weeks. Let's say, that. Let's say five weeks, where we're going to talk about prayer. Because what's easy to do is to hear something like this and think that all of this relies on us when we need to remember that this, like God is doing the work, is just faithful to use us in the work, but salvation belongs to the Lord. So let's beg him to do it. And so we're going to talk about what it looks like to talk to God, what it looks like to hear from God, to listen to God, to, to be pushed by God. We're going to look at all that stuff over the next few weeks. Even before we get to the part of what it means to see the church, city, and the world flourish. Because before those things can flourish, we need to be able to know what it looks like to flourish in the Lord first. And that begins with prayer and fasting. So that's what we're going to do. And that's how I'm ending my sermon today. Weird segue, but it's, it is what it is. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray. And I want you to begin to ask God, where are the areas in your life where you don't see the urgency of the mission here? And ask him to reveal those things to you. And through the power of his Holy Spirit, he would strengthen you to take the steps necessary to see it for yourself. You pray, and I'll close this out. Father, we thank you that we have a chance to, to speak to you. Things like this can be uh, hard to hear because for many of us, we, uh, we understand life is short. We understand that not everyone is going to pick and choose or select to love you. But Father, that is not our decision to make for them, and for that reason, we have to be faithful. I pray that you would show us who are the ones who are far from God but close to us, where we can have those conversations in such a way to see people come to know us. Father, we ask that you would radically save. And if you'd be so kind that you would use us to be a part of those stories, not to bring any fame to us, but to point people to you. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.